Welcome to Intentionally Grounded, sponsored by GoRoute, simplifying scout teams through simple and direct coach-to-player communication. In episode 13, we had the exciting chance to speak with South Dakota State University safeties coach, Brian Bergstrom. Coach Bergstrom shares his successes and experiences ranging from his playing days through his various stops along his coaching career. Coach shares with us the techniques, coverages, and drills that he uses to develop and improve safety play at every level. He also discusses how defenses are adapting to combat the RPO evolution. Having coached at almost every level ranging from high school to FCS, Coach Bergstrom has a unique perspective on what it takes to be successful in the coaching profession. A rising coach in the profession, Coach Bergstrom's understanding of the game of football and its impact on society is special. We are very thankful to have the opportunity to interview him for our podcast. As a reminder, Intentionally Grounded will be at the One Back Clinic in Dallas, Texas from June 1st through June 2nd. Please stop by and introduce yourself while you are down there. We'd love the opportunity to get to know you, talk some ball, and potentially set up time to have you join us on our podcast. If you haven't already, check out our redesigned website at igfootballcoach.com, which hosts all the podcasts and now includes a show notes section. We'd also be very appreciative if you would leave a review on one of our podcasting networks, such as iTunes and Stitcher, and help us spread the word of what we are doing here at Intentionally Grounded. Now, let's get started. Coach Brian Bergstrom. Well, we're here with South Dakota State Safety's Coach Brian Bergstrom. Coach, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'll start with where I am right now. Like you said, Brian, I'm at South Dakota State uh, as a safety's coach. Uh, right now, also uh, have some responsibility with you know, with the kickoff team and then recruiting, obviously. Um, this was I just wrapped up my first year here, and uh, prior to to that, I was at Augustana University for four years as a defensive coordinator. And uh, prior to that, I was at uh, Minnetonka High School for one year, um, coaching in the secondary, and, and working at the school, uh, and then. The year before that, I was actually out of football, pursuing other opportunities for a year. Uh, and prior to that, I was at Gustavus Adolphus College as a defensive coordinator for for five years, my alma mater. And uh, prior to that, was at Crown College for one year, Division three school as a defensive coordinator. And uh, prior to that, I was at Shakopee High School in the Twin Cities. Prior to that, I was playing. So that's kind of in order backwards and more importantly, uh, a little bit about myself. I've uh, been married almost 15 years now uh, to my wife, uh, who also went to Gustavus and, and was an athlete. Got three awesome kids. Creighton is 11, and, and Beckett is 8, and Berkeley is 4. And we live in Brookings now. So uh, we're really blessed. So it's an honor to be on with you guys today. Coach, I have to ask, um, could you recite the Gusty Rouser uh, from heart right now, if we asked you to. <laughs> Come on, you gusties. Shout the battle cry of victory. Come on, you gusties. Fight till the end. Fight for dear old GAC. Gusties will shine tonight. Gusties will shine. Hey, gusties will shine tonight. Gusties will shine. Hey, gusties will shine tonight. Gusties will shine. Beat and bust, and that's our custom gusties will shine. I, I told you he could rattle it off. No problem. Yeah, that's fantastic. You. That was impressive. Um, <laughs> We may have heard that I, out of the I, coach's I, office a few times over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think it probably helped because I, I played for four and coached for five, so I got nine years of it. So, <laughs> Coach, we'll talk about a little bit. You, you said it. You played at Gustavus. Uh, you were an All-American there, an all-conference player. Uh, talk a little bit about Gustavus and what made you so successful there and 
and some of the lessons you've learned playing the game of football? Well, I think Gustavus is a special place. Um, I mean, I think it starts with people. Uh, that's the reason I went to Gustavus. I mean, I thought, you know, at the time I, I was excited about the education I could get and its location and its kind of reputation. And, and uh, but ultimately why I picked Gustavus was uh, Coach Schenebeck, the head coach at the time, and um, who is a, a mentor and a friend and uh, really special to me. Um, but w- from him to the professors, to the guys on the team, just everything about uh, that decision was made easy because of just how I felt when I was there and visiting. And, you know, now that I'm in recruiting and coaching on the other side, I understand how important that gut feeling is or that heart feeling when you're on campus and you're interacting because everybody's going to talk about great facilities and great uh, program and culture and and for the most part there are a lot of good opportunities a lot of different places and uh, at the end of the day I tell kids all the time and it was the advice I got to follow your heart you know where do you feel comfortable uh, and if football wasn't there would that be a place you'd want to be at um, so th- those are pieces of advice I got and, and, and it rang true for me at at Gustavus for sure um, and I think football, I'm obviously biased, but football is, is the best team sport, uh, created. And I've, I owe so much, uh, to the game, um, in, in terms of who I am as a person, uh, because of lessons that you can learn in football that you really can't learn in the classroom or in a, in a biology class or in a chemistry class or an English class, um, from everything from, just discipline and, and doing things you maybe don't want to always do um, to hard work and, and work ethic to patience to teamwork and putting others needs before your own. And I think one of the biggest things football teaches is uh, the ability to handle delayed gratification. I mean, you work so hard, so long all year and you get, you know, depending on what level, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 guaranteed games, uh, where you're really putting deposits in all year long and, and you're just longing for the day that you get to take some withdrawals or break the bank open on, on Saturdays or Friday nights or whatever it is. And um, so I think the game is filled with so many more important things than the actual game itself. And I think that it's shown in how much time we as coaches or as players spend with each other outside of game day. I mean, when you look at the year, and certainly here at South Dakota State, we spend a lot of time with our guys outside of the season, and those are all opportunities for me to impact their life, and not just the game. That's what everybody sees. So, Gustavus was a special place. Uh, football is a is a pretty amazing game. Coach, you've talked about the different stops that you've had in your coaching career. Um, from your experience, what's been the biggest difference between coaching at the high school and college levels? You know, I think uh, I've been asked this many times because I've had the unique opportunity to coach high school D3, D2, and FCS. And uh, so I've seen the pros and cons of different levels, and uh, I think they do all have pros and cons. Uh, when you look at high school versus college, I think the similarities are you're using the same platform, you're using the same medium of the game of football to impact lives. And so, so that's consistent. I 
actually coached my safeties at Minnetonka High School very similar uh, to how I coached the safeties here at South Dakota State in terms of just my style. And I'm going to be me, uh, but I got to tailor my coaching and, and how I say what I say to the individual, whether they're 15 to 18 year olds, uh, like at, at the high school level, or uh, they're you know 18 to 23 year olds, like I, like I deal with now. Um, that's that's the same. I would I would say that the the, uh, the difference uh, has to do with the amount of scheme that the kids are asked to comprehend for obvious reasons. Um, they just don't spend as much time with us in high school as they do in college. So you're just able to do more schematically, uh, have a probably a higher expectation of their commitment outside of your time with them in college, especially at the scholarship level. I mean, you're paying for their education. There is a certain responsibility that goes with that. Coach, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, you're currently at SDSU at South Dakota State for our listeners. Uh, you work with the secondary players. You work with safeties. Um, what are some of the traits and skills that you're looking for for your safeties to possess and develop, and how do you go about developing those skills? Yeah, I think that's that's a good question, one that we ask ourselves all the time, certainly in recruiting. Um, and then what are we trying to develop when we get them? Um, I think some of the obvious things um, that are not the most important, though, is there has to be a certain body type and athletic ability. Um, we all want to coach kids that are coachable and, and can make plays and like all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I wanted to, you know, growing up, I wanted to play at Notre Dame, but I didn't have a division one body or 40 yard dash or anything about me. So even if I had all the other intangibles, it really didn't matter. So what we are really looking for is, you know, by the time they're graduating high school, about 175 to 205 pounds, somewhere in there, um, and give or take, um, in terms of their uh, their weight and and height, anywhere from you know 5'10 to 6'3. Um, so we have a pretty big uh, range, and uh, you, you obviously want them to be as fast and have that combination of as fast and as strong as they can as they can be. And uh, we would always lean towards, if we're, if we're going to lean one way, we would lean towards mobility and speed and change of direction versus just strength. Um, we obviously want a combination of both, um, but we would always lean towards their ability to move and move well. Um, so there, there has to be a certain amount of just that athletic ability and the frame to do the work in the Missouri Valley Conference, which is a which is a super competitive league. It's a physical league. It's a fast league. Um, but so we're going to look at a lot of kids that have those. That's kind of the first screen or you, you watch the film or you look at it on, um, you will see them at a camp and they stick out to you athletically. Now where the real work happens and the most important stuff is because you, we can go and find a lot of kids across the country that have that, that size and that athletic ability. We got to find, guys that are the, the right fit at South Dakota State. So the guys that value face family football, guys that uh, want to be a part of a selfless program that are blue collar, that want to work for what they get, not be handed to them. Now that's part of our culture that Coach Stegemeyer has 
you know, formed over a number of years. And um, it's important to us that they're the right fit uh, for us. And then they have to be at a certain academic um, standing. They certainly have to be an NCAA qualifier, but um, more than that, they have to uh, be excited about excelling in the classroom and, and to be a student athlete, uh, not the other way around. Um, in terms of getting back onto the field, um, something that's not always easy to measure in like a combine score or, um, you know, uh, objective track times or anything like that is just their ability to make plays. So when we watch film, when we talk to coaches, are they making plays? And if they're not making plays on their highlight tape on huddle, then we have a, a, a big question to the fact of can they, can they make plays? And that, that's really hard to teach, uh, the finishing of plays, the tackling, the ball skills, the judging the ball in the air, um, those sort of things. And then lastly, it's a big emphasis for us is do they love football? Do they love the process? Do they love the meetings and the indie periods and the team and uh, all the things that are besides the, the bright lights? Everybody tends to like that. Um, but not everybody loves the process. And we need guys that certainly have the athletic ability, uh, but they want to be coached. They can make plays. Football's super important to them, and they want to be at a place uh, like SDSU. Coach, walk us through a typical indie period with you. What are some of the drills that you believe are the most important and influential in your safety's development? Yeah, I, uh, I think one of the most overlooked things in football, especially – you know, the, the higher up you go can, can really be the fundamentals of what you ask your guys to do on a, on a daily basis. So we have a number of movement footwork drills that we call everyday drills where, you know, the guys may think uh, they're, they're boring because they know what's coming, uh, but it's just like a five, it's like a five minute segment where we're starting. It's almost a way to continue the warm up and get the body going. Um, but just the movements that we do, and we really look at what, in our scheme, what movements do we ask our guys to do, whether it's a stance or a back pedal or a flat foot read or a uh, spinning down to, to reroute a safe or reroute a, a slot receiver or they're bailing and, and to like a deep half and they're, it's like crossover run, like, a, um, like almost like a linebacker would drop. Um, so we're just incorporating just – these movements and uh, trying to be efficient and not have long lines. So spread our guys out. So three, four guys are going at a time and, and finding that balance. So we'll spend some time in movement, um, certainly usually towards the beginning. And then there's certain, you know, certainly skills that are very similar to linebacker that I've, I've really the other half of my career have coached um, in, in blocking or block defeats and tackling so we're going to do some drills against ourselves uh, in terms of block defeat whether it's using our hands or dipping and ripping or beating a cut block um, and then tackling whether that be a, a kind of a closed space tackle or an open field tackle uh, angle tackle really have kind of transitioned how we teach tackling and focusing on where we put our shoulder rather than where we put our head just for the the safety um of the game and you really look at film and how often do, is there a form tackle it's not very often at all so we try to 
the biggest thing with drills, especially in those areas, is make it game-like. Make it make it uh, be specific to situations that they actually are in. So you got the movement, you got block defeats, you got tackling. Uh, we spend a little bit of time on pass rush uh, because we do blitz and uh, uh, not a, not a whole lot. There's just not enough time in the day. Um, within pass rush, tackling, and block defeat specifically, we really try and get competitive in the drills too. So in Indy, I may communicate with our running backs coach and plan a pass pro drill against them or a tackle drill against them uh, because, one, they're better at it than we can be against ourselves. And, two, it just brings some competitive juices to practice. And they would much rather go against uh, an offensive player in a competitive setting, and it's just better. It's just the quality on all sides is better. And then one of the um, – and another key area, and I saved it for last because it's super important to us, is it's taking our scheme and – it's the repetitive nature of drilling either their run fit or their pass fit. And what I mean by that is certain defenses were in the run fit. We have a gap or keying a full back um, that's dictating our gap. And we really need to get a lot of reps at over and over and over again, seeing that key, having great eye discipline and, remind our guys all the time good vision equals good information equals good decisions bad vision bad information bad decision and so it's the repetitive nature of our run fit or pass fit um but the certain uh eye control with our reads um and it's specific to our scheme but if i'm going to ask them to be proficient when we get to seven on seven or team when uh, we haven't drilled it at all in Indy, um, then that's my fault. So it's not just about physical techniques. It's also about mental technique and eye control and, and those sorts of things. Where should I have my eyes? What should my progression be? And slowing it down for them um, in terms of an indie period where it's not coming at them as fast as maybe team a team setting would. Um, and then lastly, one I, I skipped over would be our pass defense drills, whether it's man-to-man coverage and we can go against receivers or it's a uh, zone. Um, those are kind of the main areas of Indy uh, that I try and hit on. Coach, you talked a little bit about all the stuff you do in Indy, but what kind of routes and route combinations, and you guys see a lot of different offenses, obviously with NDSU and USD, you see a lot of different stuff. You know, what gives you guys the most trouble and what do you have to spend the most time working on? Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to zone coverage, and when I say zone, I mean we're covering an area of the field. Our vision is on the quarterback. There's there's gonna, there's weakness to every coverage. So the weakness of zone would be there's going to be there's going to be soft spots in the zone. So I would say routes that have the capability of adjusting to our landmark drops and sitting in soft spots would be uh, one uh, area that we got to work on a lot. And the way you combat that is you're not predictable and always in zone, and you're you're allowing the quarterback to really allow you to melt. So we're all, you know, we got seven, eight guys, depending on the coverage, that are really cheating to where the quarterback is looking. 
and that's an advantage of zone is you got quarterback eyes and you end up getting more takeaways and, and uh, PBUs and stuff like that. So I'd say that's one area. Uh, we're a big cover four team. Uh, that would be the first defense we put in. So we're, we're matching routes. We're reading routes. Um, so it's not, a, it's not necessarily a secret for offenses what triggers exchanges between the match coverage. So they're going to create, uh, we call them, you know, zone beaters or cover four beaters. There's going to be routes that give that coverage, uh, that, that give it problems. And, and that's okay. We tell our guys all the time, it's okay that the defenses have weaknesses. They should. There's no such thing as a perfect defense. We got to do our job as coaches to, you know, mix it up and not be predictable and, and uh, give our guys a fighting chance. So routes that, uh, for example, like in, when we're in quarters and we have two speed and number two goes out at any depth, we're going to exchange the safety in the corner. So two to the flat, one vertical, the corner would come off on the flat route and the safety's over the top of the vertical and number one. But routes can start to go in and then go out or start to go out and then go in. Um, or it's like uh, number two is vertical and he stems in hard for two or three steps and then goes out trying to create confusion. The offense is trying to create confusion uh, in our, in our, uh, in our rules of cover four. So I would say routes, uh, routes like that, that either sit down in zones or that are trying to take advantage of your rules uh, in, in your base coverages are what would be route concepts that give us the most issues. Throughout the offseason, we've heard a lot about match quarters coverage, and it seems like a lot of teams are using that as a way to combat the spread um, the spread offense in a lot of the more modern-day offenses that you're starting to see, the, the Baylor type of offenses. Uh, do you guys run any match quarters at SDSU? Uh, and if so, what are some of your teaching points? We do. We do. That's, uh, we we kind of have three base defenses. One would be cover four, match quarters. One would be a Tampa two uh, where it's really four under three deep zone coverage. And then we play a cover uh, man free coverage uh, that where we're playing man to man with a true high hole safety in the middle of the field. Uh, but the first one we, uh, we install is our, is our cover four. And I think the biggest thing for us, uh, because there are, we, we tell our guys all the time, there's more bells and whistles to this coverage. There's no more, uh, communication that goes on between a safety and a corner and an outside linebacker to because we will adjust the style of cover four, I guess uh, you could say, based off of the surface to that side. So if there's two speed, uh, they're going to make a certain call where if there's only one speed or one uh, receiver to that side, they're making a different call. And if there's three guys, they're making a different call. So it's really driven on the safety's ability to be a quarterback back there, communicate to his corner, his outside linebacker on the mic really needs to know what's going on too. Um, so when we actually teach it, communication is number one. We have to be on the same page for like which style of cover four are we playing. And the second most important thing would be our ability to coach and then be disciplined as players to have proper vision because so much of the route reading, you have to see the, the, 
you, the safety in the corner have to be seeing the same thing out of number two, for example. What's number two doing? Because that's going to potentially trigger an exchange between us, or um, I may gain safety help if I'm a corner, if two goes underneath right away. Uh, it's, it's, it has a direct impact on how I play the route in, in my area. So I think the biggest thing is communicating and then having proper vision uh, and then the obvious would be to, to be able to run and cover the route that is your responsibility. Um, but I do think it, it's, it's a pretty common way to defend spread because you are able to stay on top of all verticals in theory and, and you're able to adjust uh, and give yourself a, a chance. Um, and it's also a good disguise. We start everything. Um, we talk and remind our guys all the time that we want to, make the quarterback uh, have to think, not, don't tell them right away what we're in. So we want to look like cover four all the time, even if we're playing man, even if we're playing zone, even if we're pressuring, even if we're dropping eight, unless we tell them something different, they should look like cover four. And, and then they're moving right before the snap or on the snap uh, in, in hopes of having good disguise and, and not telling the whole stadium what we're doing. Coach, another topic that that we've heard a lot about, and it's probably a, it's a buzzword, and it's on TV all the time, is RPOs. Um, th- and they're becoming more prevalent, especially at the high school level too for us. And what are some of the ways that you guys defend them at at the Division One level? And uh, you know, do they give you as many problems as they give they they seem to give everybody else? Yeah, they're they're uh, they're a thorn in our side most weeks um, in terms of figuring out uh, how we're handling both uh, the run and the pass. Obviously, that's kind of the whole point of the play within one play. So you have to have enough guys to account for the run play. And many times, if it's, if it's an athletic quarterback, you have, we always try to get an extra guy for the quarterback. So having a D-end on a quarterback is not good enough. We want a D-end on a linebacker that doesn't have a gap or a safety that doesn't have a gap that can help that D-end. Because uh, that's a bad matchup a lot of times, so quarterback versus or an athletic QB um, versus you know somebody uh, that's not as athletic as him. Uh, then, let alone you got to have the extra guy on the run play, but then it's they, they obviously have the pass plays going on at the same time. So you can't sell out to the run or the pass. You have to be able to play both. And I think it comes back to, to having a system where their keys will allow them to play one, play a certain phase. So if I am a safety and I'm seeing a route out of number two, and that's my key, I'm defending the pass. And, and even though there's a run play going on at the same time, I got to make sure it's not a pass first, uh, rather than guessing. It's like any team football. We all have a responsibility to defend run play, um, the, the run portion and the pass portion, but I, I have a, primary responsibility and then a secondary responsibility so um i think the biggest thing is that they understand the system and understand what their job is regardless of if it's an rpo because they don't know if it's going to be an rpo they don't know what the play is going to be obviously the offense does defense doesn't so i think having a system where you have extra guys and again what i mean by that and that's why quarters is allows some flexibility because you play safety tighter to the box and they can cover people vertically but be extra quarterback players 
it allows you to keep a guy out of the fit, but the extra, let's say there, uh, there's two speed to a side, they got inside zone going one way, the quarterback could run it the other way, or he could throw the bubble uh, that way. If you have a linebacker overhang between two and the tackle, uh, set to the side of the back where he's out of the fit, he can be an extra QB player. And if that quarterback pulls up and throws the bubble, he can be an extra guy running inside out to go defend the bubble. Um, and as much as you can do that and not put a player in a bind, like I have the B gap, but I also got to help on the bubble where he's kind of being torn in both directions. Um, I think that's, uh, that can help you defend RPO. The other main way that we defend RPO is we would, um, we would play a, a, some sort of a bracket coverage where we're able to play man-to-man, like with, let's say, our outside linebacker in our corner, are playing man-to-man on number two and number one. And that's going to, you know, really hopefully take away uh, a lot of their opportunity to throw the quick RPO throw out there because we're in man. And then the safety behind is, is allowed to be a, either playing a wide gap um, in the run fit or an extra quarterback player. He's still uh, standing back there uh, behind, you know, 10, 12 yards. So it still looks like a cover four shell, but he's more flat foot reading. He can help the guys. If it is a pass, he can help the guys that are playing man, but he's also has his eyes in the backfield and can trigger on run. Um, so I would say, you know, match quarters with keeping guys out of the fit to the side we think they're going to throw the RPO to, or a version of man uh, where we can take away those quick throws. Because most RPOs, the ball's going to come out relatively quick, and, and by the letter of the law, it should, because otherwise old linemen are going to be way downfield. Um, even though refs uh, struggle to call that sometimes, we got a run play going on, and the linemen's seven yards downfield, and they're throwing the ball downfield because it's not like it's just screens in RPO. I mean, they're running curls and hitches and, I mean, slants and all, all sorts of stuff downfield. So it's a challenge, uh, and it's certainly something that most uh, most weeks we're talking about in our defensive staff room. Many of our listeners tend to be high school coaches, and if you had to give one piece of advice to maybe a young high school defensive coordinator, what would be the most important piece of advice that you'd give them to help them become successful? The biggest thing that I would say is regardless if you're at a big school, small school, uh, you guys are experienced or not, or your staff's experienced or not, is uh, make sure your guys know that you love them. And, and that's a huge deal. Make sure they know that, they, that you care about them uh, as an individual, as a human being, not as a football player. They know you care about them as a football player because they know you want them to play well. What they don't always know um, is that you, that you love them and you care about them and you want them to do well in school and you want them to be successful and you care about their family and their what's going on in their life. And they will not only be a better human being because of that, they will they will play harder for you because they know that you care about them and they will also be willing to be coached and coached hard because it's never in doubt whether you care about them and you love them. Coach is just coaching me hard because he, he's pushing me. Um, so I'd say make sure your players know that you, that you love them and, and don't be afraid to tell them that um, and, and say that, not just show them, but tell them and say them. 
A lot of kids don't get told that by an adult male in their life. Um, and that's part of the cool deal about being a football coach. It's so much more than football. Uh, and then in terms of the schematics, I would say, is I would never like say, Hey, you got to run this scheme. It's, uh, whatever scheme you're going to run, whatever the responsibility you're going to ask, uh, players to be able to execute is make sure by the time Friday nights roll around or Saturdays or whatever the day or whatever day you play is that they're playing fast. So long story short, keep it simple. If there, if there's a question, whether it's too much, take something out, play fast. Cause what you find as a, a play caller, you always come back to the stuff you're comfortable with. And what are you comfortable with at the play caller? You're comfortable with the stuff your players are comfortable with because they play fast and you want them to play the game. Don't think the game, play the game. And and that's when they're going to be freed up. That's when they'll play fast. That's when they'll fly to the football. That's when good things happen. When they're thinking, bad deal. It's uh, it's it's a big play waiting to happen and tentative play waiting to happen. Now I'm not saying there there's not times in practice where guys are thinking uh, when they're young or when they're learning. But when the closer you get to a game, the more stuff you should take out if your guys aren't playing fast. So I would say make sure your guys know that you love them, that you care about them, uh, and make sure that your scheme is one in which the players, by the time they're actually expected to play, that they feel like, I got this. This is, this is doable. Um, even if it's somewhat confusing scheme, as long as the players think it's not, then you've done your job as, as a good coach and a good teacher. If you had to give a piece of advice to a young Brian Bergstrom before you started your coaching career, what would it be? Um, I would probably tell myself, which I now do a much better job of, is um, God's got a plan. He's going to open up doors when they're supposed to get opened. Um, I've always been a motivated, um, driven person. So I had some timelines put on myself. Like by the time I was 25, I was going to be a defensive coordinator, which I was able to do. I was coordinating at Gustavus. And I said, by the time I'm 35, I'm going to be a head coach. Well, I'm 38 now, and I've never been a head coach. And that's that's okay. Where five, six years ago, I don't think I would have had that same perspective. So um, you hear people say it all the time. I wish I would have had it when I was younger. It's just just be where your feet are. Just do an awesome job where you are. And that's my complete focus now. Whether I'm at South Dakota State for the rest of my career, awesome. Whether I get another opportunity that my family and I think is best for our future uh, next year, awesome. Um, God's going to open the door when, when he wants to open the door. And uh, I now have that mindset. Uh, if I could have gone back 15 years ago when I started coaching uh, and had that then, I probably would have. Uh, been a been a better coach, uh, and so hopefully I'm doing a better job of that now. Coach, one of the traditions we have on the show is that uh, we have each one of our guests pick their walk up music, and so um, if you were a professional baseball player or a professional wrestler and you had to have a walk up song, what would yours be and why? Huh. Well, it's 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 not your typical uh, not your typical walk up song, but. I don't know if it would work, but I would say the like the main soundtrack theme to either Braveheart or Gladiator because they're by far 
my favorite movie. Um, so I don't know if there'd, there'd be a way to get like uh, kind of the, the, the key part of, again, Gladiator or Braveheart. If you found this podcast helpful, please take the time to go and leave a review either on Stitcher or iTunes and let us know what you think.